Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the third season of Dying Alive. Today, we welcome yet another guest onto the program, a friend of mine and someone who should be a friend of yours, the one and only Josh Taylor. We're going to talk about the Penguins' week behind us, their perfect homestand. We'll look ahead, talk about what's going on around the NHL, and of course, as always, we'll end with your correspondences. This is the Dying Alive Podcast. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Dying Alive podcast. That said, it's going to be a bit different today. Instead of it being the usual crew of me, Pat Damp of the pensblog.com and KDKA, I am joined with a special temporary co-host, a good friend of mine, who I work with at KDKA and who is the host of the newly rebranded Sunday Morning Grind podcast, the one, the only, Josh Taylor. Josh, what is up, my dude? We've been waiting to do this kind of thing for a while now. Oh, yeah, this is this is cool. It's like that. this is one of those, like, the jewel in the set that you got to try to collect. This is the one of the, the, the harder Pokemon on the list you're trying to catch. This is this is incredible. We've been talking about collaborating for so long. So to do this, dude, this is this is cool. And to do it on your podcast is makes it even cooler because I'm one of those people that like I'm a fan of the show. So I listen often and it's like if you get a chance to be a guest on this show, this is something that, you know, you don't take it for granted, man. This is awesome. Dude, I one, I appreciate the hell out of you for the kind words, because like I know, like I remember like before we get into like the penguins and everything going on, like I got to give you guys some background on this and let me and Josh have our like mem- memories and nerd out here real quick. <laughs> I remember, like, when I started at KDKA, like, I knew who Josh was, like, from social media and, like, listening to his his uh, show, The Sunday Morning Grind. And, like, he, you know, the cool thing about working in TV, especially when you work in uh, a market that you grew up in, like, like I do, being a Pittsburgh native, now working at KDKA, you see people there and you, like, can't – it's hard for the first few months to process that, like, you're coworkers with these people – like, so, like, and Josh was one of the most welcoming human beings I'd ever worked with. Like, he came down and was like, yo, what up, man? I'm Josh Taylor. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, from there, dude, like, we just hit it off, like, talked about sports, movies, music, like, TV. It was the coolest damn thing. And, like, since then, like, like I remember the one day I was talking to one of our coworkers and they were like, yeah, like Josh was telling me like how often you guys talk. I was like, man, I talk to Josh more than I talk to most human beings these days. <laughs> it's it's it, you're not wrong. It's totally true. My wife usually, if I'm on my phone, I'm probably like 
looking around on Twitter at stuff. Maybe maybe I'm trying to pass like a moment of of insanity, just trying to watch something on TikTok to make me laugh, or you know, I'm on Snapchat or Instagram or something. But if I'm having a conversation, it's either usually one of three people. It's like my mom, um, Greg Finley from the Sunday Morning Grind, who has become like one of my best friends, and you. And my wife is like, "Okay, which one is it?" I'm like, oh. "I'm like, oh, it's Greg." She's like, "Okay, who is it this time?" I was like, "It's Damper." She's like, "Okay," like it's to the point where she can guess my name. She's like, "Damper or Finley?" I'm like, "Damper." She's like, "Okay," <laughs> it, it like it's an ongoing like conversation. It's ridiculous how often you and I talk, and it's so strange because. Before we met, we knew a lot of the same people, but had never met, which is weird because that's all social media is. Like you have friends that know other people, but then you come in contact with somebody. You're like, wait a minute. OK, I'm like, I actually finally get to meet this dude because you are actually well acquainted with a lot of people. I know Jesse and I go back like five, six years back to my days with Triple I Radio. And he, we would have him on our show all the time. So like knowing Jesse was kind of a cool one of those like, OK, you know, this person, this person is this person. And then I became friends with Ashley Chase, whom you know pretty well. And then um, then I get to know her because I knew a lot of same people. So it's like you run in those circles and then you finally meet those like those mutual friends of other friends and not thinking in a million years, even though we know the same people, we're cool with the same people thinking that we would hit it off that well, that quickly, that immediately. So when it happened, it's like I shouldn't be surprised, but I kind of still am surprised at the same time. Yeah, like, and I remember one of the, like, main things, like, me, you, and our one coworker, another giant on social media, Steve Banco, uh, the thing the three of us bonded over when we were all working together in the KDK newsroom before COVID was Jesus and Mary. Yes, indeed. Like, like, uh-huh. like uh, oh, my, like, like, I was saying to, I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, I was like, I cannot wait to be able to stop working from home and make my way back to the actual newsroom for work on a weekend when JT is working and I can just give out the biggest from across the newsroom. And I remember one of the first times we did that, like a bunch of heads just snapped back. Like what in the hell was that? And then of course I come right on the other end, like, yeah. And they just snap back in the other direction going, what is going on right now? And you know what? I regret nothing every time. And and, And the funniest part of it too, is like just the, the pure absurdity of it because like, it's you, a bigger black dude, and me, a smaller white kid, both like yelling out and throwing up signs. And people are like, "What the hell is going on here?" It, it's the, the reaction is the best part because they have no clue what's going on, and that's what gives it's, a, it's, it's what gives my heart joy. And like you and I are just like laughing like dumbasses, and everybody's looking around like, "All right, I I don't I don't get it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, man, let's get into it. Uh, obviously. Pittsburgh Penguins podcast, so we got to talk about the Penguins, and it's been, for the most part, a, a pretty solid week for the Penguins, but, you know, it's one of those things where the car got us to our destination, but there's a couple warning signs jumping up on the dashboard, so, you know, uh, last week they, they, they get the Capitals, they beat them 5-4 in overtime, and this is when the trend kind of started, like, they don't start well, or they have a few down minutes where they get absolutely dominated, but then they look okay for the rest of the game. But that amount of time where they're not, you know, playing to their best ability or they're not, you know, getting possession in the zone or defending well has been coming back to haunt them. You know, they came out and won in overtime, and obviously 
Teddy Bluger had that unbelievable five on three goal with an unbelievable pass from Casey to Smith. But you know, you saw that game and like what what were you seeing from the Penguins at least so far? It's weird because it kind of has a if you you've paid attention around the league, it kind of has that Toronto Maple Leafs from like maybe a few years ago kind of vibe where the running joke was. Okay, the first period started and the Leafs didn't know what period it was. They forgot to start playing. It has that vibe to it. And you wonder, like, okay, can this be something that continues to happen? And to use your car analogy, it's like it's already leaking oil when you drove it off the lot. And you wonder, how long is this car going to leak oil or are things really going to figure itself out? And then you get to those latter two periods and you're like, all right, so when does the switch flip on? And then you see something like that Teddy Bluger going and say, okay, the switch is flipped on. I'll use another example that first meeting against the Rangers where they played a really strong first period. And then Tristan Jari allows three goals in the second period. And you're going, okay, did this trend just end or did they just flip things maybe? Because usually it's the first period that's kind of strange and everything else kind of writes itself. But to Jari's credit, he gives them three goals in the second period and then nothing along the rest of the way. It allows them to come back. They tied the game up, eventually go into overtime and then went in the shootout. And you're going, is this going to be a thing all year? Or is, it, is it just going to continue to trend where there's that one lap in the game? And if that one lapse happens, when is it going to happen? Is it going to be at a critical point where you don't want it to happen? And that's the thing I worry about. I don't worry about it happening in the first period because they've been able to overcome it in the second and third. And I don't even worry about it in the second period, at least not yet, because we've seen them be able to overcome it. But what happens if that lapse happens in the third period or God forbid, they go into that extra frame in overtime, and that lapse happens there. Does it become does it become a trend there? And you know, to, to borrow the phrase, is it a thing we should worry about? <laughs> yeah, it it, it, of course. I mean, you know, we gotta have, we gotta always we always gotta give a shout out to is this a thing? But the other way I see this too is like they want like we're recording this on Monday afternoon, right? They won on Sunday night. Mm-hmm against the Rangers thanks to a Jake Gensel's 100th career goal, which I did not th- – I thought he already had 100 career goals, no, no, to be no, honest I, with you. I was shocked that he was – it was like, he, he's not there already? That's how good he's been that quickly. Yeah, like when 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 uh, I think it was Mears said on the broadcast, he was like, that's 100 career goals for Jake Gensel. And I was like, he doesn't already have 100? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he has 100 in total if you count playoffs, but like – yeah, like, and then, uh, but the the issue that I see is, one of the issues I see is that Sunday was their first regulation win of the season. And while that's, you know, I know the old adage of, oh, you know, a win's a win's a win's a win, but this season, we are only playing within the division. Right. So those overtime and shootout wins, while it's nice to get the extra point, it's not that helpful because you're handing off a point to somebody that either is chasing you or you're going to be chasing going into the postseason. And now, by the looks of it so far, and I said it last week on the show, we need to be a little more cognizant of try, not trying to take too much away from the first couple weeks of a season where there was no preseason and abbreviated training camp. So a lot of teams are still figuring it out. But, you know, the East is competitive. At the at the top, you know, the five six teams at the top are very competitive. But and if that trend keeps up and every game's going to OT, then it kind of negates itself. But you know, if you're Pittsburgh, 
go this is this is not a sustainable model. You eventually have to start stacking some points, which they're doing, but you got to do it in regulation. You got to do it in regulation because for two different reasons. One, you want to be able to get that two points as easily as possible without making it harder on yourself. Second of all, and I, I think you bring up a good point. If you're giving the other team another point while you're still collecting two, your net result is still just one point. And that could be the difference, say, a month or two down the road when that race gets tighter. And let's say it's a team you're trying to stay in the hunt or stay ahead of to maybe get better positioning or, God forbid, we're even talking about winning the division. A couple of those uh, those overtime wins or those shootout wins that you had earlier that spotted them an extra point or two are going to show up and look different. That might be the thing that nudges them ahead of you. Maybe that extra point or two puts them ahead and maybe puts you in a position you don't want to be in or maybe cautious something like winning the division. I mean, granted, some might tell you winning a division might not be as important this time around just because of the dynamics surrounding this entire season. And they might have a good point. But at the same time, you don't want something like this to come back and bite you down the road because you couldn't shore it up in that initial 60 minutes. And I, I actually, I want to stick on that for a second. I want to ask your thought on it, like, because you kind of brought it up. And obviously, this hinges on what happens with the pandemic in the next few months. You know, if if vaccinations pick up and if, you know, there's more ability to go out and do things in public. But how much stock do you put into home ice advantage and winning the division this year? Because not the not only, you know, is there a chance there won't be fans in the building, so like kind of negates your home ice advantage, save for having last change, but at least in the East Division, it is a very condensed demo, uh, geographic area. So there's not a ton of travel. You don't have to worry about time zones. Uh, you don't have to worry about long trips for the most part. So like how much stock do you put into winning the division? It's hard to do it this year. It's really hard. You, you're right, and especially if we're talking about travel because – Let's be honest, if these guys are traveling by plane in this division, every place you're going is, you know, as quickly as a half hour to 45 minutes. If you're talking Philly or Jersey to as much as maybe an hour or two, if you're talking about, you know, D.C. or Boston. So there really is no travel, you know, coefficient that really messes this whole thing up. And also it kind of messes things up to where, you know, you could get that good night's sleep in your own you know, maybe your own room and or your own house and to get up the next morning and have your own routine. This kind of eliminates all that because the travel aspect of it makes it easier for teams to get back and forth. And not to mention the fact that we're seeing a lot, especially during a regular season, this two games in three days dynamic makes it a lot better for a team that's on the road to maybe recover that next day and get into a, maybe a smaller mini routine. So by the time that third day comes around and you're playing that second game, you're a lot more, you know, you're, you're a lot more in tune to what you're dealing with than maybe that first game. So it kind of eliminates that advantage as well, not just postseason, but regular season also. So, yeah, home ice advantage, it kind of goes out of the window. I think it's the same thing with the NFL. I think we've seen the NFL home field advantage really just be completely, I won't say completely removed off the table, but it does make it a little bit more obsolete just because the dynamics have shifted so much as opposed to what we're used to seeing. Well, yeah, you look at yesterday, yesterday on Championship Sunday for the NFL, right? Like, normally, if we look at the Green Bay-Tampa Bay game, right? The Battle of the Bays, right. as I was calling it. That would be a much different dynamic than it was yesterday. Because you think a Lambo, and you think of just a wall of sound. Just an intimidating-ass place to play because of just how intense Green Bay fans were. 
they had fans in the building, and more than I would like to see for a pandemic, but different argument for a different day. That wasn't the Lambo that people get scared of. Oh, no, not at all. Lambo in January is supposed to really stick out in your mind because the fans in the in the place in Lambo, the weather's usually a factor. It's usually a little bit colder. I didn't see the weather being a factor in that game with uh, Green Bay and Tampa Bay. That wasn't an issue. But to flip it on the other side with the AFC side, yeah, Buffalo and Kansas City. Buffalo go out to a 9 to nothing lead at Arrowhead. Arrowhead in January is the same thing. The weather could be an issue, plus Arrowhead – might be the loudest stadium in the NFL, if not in all of sports, is Arrowhead Stadium. That usually is a factor. And Buffalo came in like a team that wasn't intimidated or phased by anything. So that's something that stands out. Another example I'll give people, and it's probably one that doesn't get acknowledged enough, I'll go back around to um, New Orleans and Tampa Bay. Usually playing in that dome, the Saints don't lose in that dome under normal circumstances. Drew Brees, if he's playing a game, especially a game of any kind of importance, he didn't lose in that dome in New Orleans. Tom Brady and the, the Bucks walked in there and beat them in that dome. Now, you can say part of it maybe is to Drew Brees not being the Drew Brees of old, and you make a good case for it. But it still speaks to that dynamic of places that are usually daunting places to play or intimidating places to play for different factors. It's now wiped off the slate, and now you're dealing with more of a ceteris paribus type kind of situation. Yeah, and so if you bring this back to hockey and the Penguins, you think about who's in their division mm-hmm. that they potentially and likely could see in the playoffs. Boston, Philadelphia, D.C., three of the loudest and in most intense places to play in the Eastern Conference. You know, you ask me to rank it, it goes Philly, D.C., Boston. Like, like Philly is Philly when you're the Penguins. Like, you walk into there, regardless of how much Sidney Crosby and the boys absolutely own the Flyers in this era, that is still a daunting arena to walk into because they are on top of you, they are loud, and they are unforgiving. We have taken that advantage away because in Pennsylvania, we are still not able to go into arenas and stadiums. And so that's out the door. Like you take away that from Philly. That's 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 a that's an ace in the hole for them. Could Same you with DC. Could you imagine? Could you imagine like 25, 30 years ago if the spectrum didn't have that kind of allure that the spectrum had? Back when, if you went to Philly, the Flyers just owned the Penguins. Could you imagine the Spectrum not being the Spectrum in that form? I, I'm showing my age. I know this. Like, I still remember Tim Kerr lighting them up in '89 and making me cry. <laughs> That's how far back my fandom goes. But could you imagine this team going to the Spectrum in the '80s and being like, "Yeah, this isn't a big deal." It, That's that's the thing that really that's the equalizer that you're talking about. Well, and I, I don't think I've ever actually gotten into this on our show before, but. If there is one thing I think's kind of uh, overrated and dumb, was the the quote unquote Philly curse by the Penguins. Oh yeah, like yeah. once Lemieux showed up, I think we can say to give another shout out to your show. It was a thing, yes, because of when Lemieux was here. But pre Lemieux, we're really going to ignore how bad those teams were. Like it exactly. wasn't a Philly curse; those teams were awful, and it, the Flyers weren't bad. They were actually pretty good. Which which brings me back to circle back to 1989. I don't think it was as much of a curse as much as it was. Hey, Tim Kerr's Tim Kerr is really really good, and they just couldn't stop him. <laughs> That's what that series more or and, less was. And then you look at who the Penguins were bringing in when they finally beat the Philly curse. Like you had Mario Lemieux. Uh, I think. Uh, 
think that was when coffee was here yes. close to it. I want to say it was right you after had, you got here. You had, like, despite what his career may have turned out being, you had Robbie Brown, who, like, he was uh, Chris Kunitz before Chris Kunitz was a thing. Like, you just put him on Lemieux's wing, and all he did was score. You just put Kunitz on Crosby's wing, all he does is score. So, like, it's just funny when people are like, oh, there was a Philly curse. It's like, maybe when Lemieux was here, but before that, those teams just sucked. Yeah, it's, (laughs) it's amazing what happens with talent becomes part of the dynamic, right? Yeah. But that, but you know, to to bring it back to today, like you know, you think about like what is being lost with no fans in the building. That home yeah. ice advantage is gone. So the good news for the Penguins is the fact that they just had a four game homestand and they went four for four. Only one of those wins was in regulation, which we talked about. But this is a, this is where I kind of brought this up on the last show. The good news of that is they're stacking points early while they're trying to figure it out. Because this is not, I don't think we've seen the best this Penguins team can be. I think there's a lot of talent on this roster, and they do have a chance to be really good this year. How good, I'm not sure, but you know this is, this is a crucial moment for them. They went 4-for-4 four four on a homestand. They're in second place in the division. They're one point behind Washington for the division lead, uh, which is huge. But stacking these points early while you're figuring it out, is what you need to do. You in a shortened season, you cannot uh, afford to start really slow. And I'll I'll add some bad news in there because you brought up three teams that while home ice advantage is off the table in Washington, Philly, and Boston, I'll also make the case that those are the three teams in the division that this team probably matches up the worst with. So that's that's the trade off. That's really what you're looking at. However, you're right. They have managed facing the team that they really don't match up well with in, in the case of Washington to get two wins, one in overtime, one in a shootout, and then to lose in Philadelphia the way they did. And I thought Chris Letang talked about this. He said, hey, look, we, we thought we played as well as we did that first game. It's just the bounces didn't go the way they were supposed to. So when you kind of factor all that in, if you want to look at it as you lost two in Philly and you won two against Washington when both of those teams are probably going to be some matchup problems. And now you're going to Boston for two, which is another team that's going to be a matchup problem. Granted, they're not at full strength like they used to, or not the roster that we entirely remember. You look at times like that last four games and say, Hey, you'll take it while you can, because you know, more difficult times are coming. Yeah. And I, I kind of like, I agree with you on Boston and Philly. I think they, they match up pretty poorly against those two. Uh, because you know, even the big, the biggest determining factor for Boston is going to be if and when they get David Pasternak back. Because absolutely, he, he's just an absolute killer. Uh, but also, you know, I think Philly is young, fast, talented, deep, and I said it on the show in the preseason uh, preview. They they go as Carter Hart goes, and Carter Hart has been going absolutely, absolutely, and he's been good. What I don't think is true, though, is I don't think that they have that much of an issue in a matchup problem with Washington. I, I think that the Caps, one, are the oldest. They're the oldest team on paper. Like, they have the oldest average age roster. Yeah, and adding Chara didn't help you. That's true. And that's what I was going to say. And that was the other thing I was going to say. You add Chara to a defense that already is not very fleet of foot. Like, for all the warts the Penguins have right now, and there's a good few of them, they're still a quick team. Like, they still have speed. It may not be the team speed of 16 and 17, but they're still fast. So going up against a team like the Capitals, 
if they use the speed that they have against that defense, I think they match up pretty well against them. And you, you, you bring up a good point. I might be giving them still some credit that was due towards the Barry Trotz years a couple years back when that team was a lot more mobile and they seemed a lot more efficient working five on five. And maybe that's something I'm kind of forgetting right about now, maybe giving a little bit too much credit, but to your point, uh, I'll take your defense for Washington being slowed down, but I'll raise you the front three guys, those forwards with Washington being a little bit more aggressive defensively too. And maybe that's something else I might be giving a little bit too much credit to Barry Trotz for, but that's also something that kind of comes around with it. But yeah, to your point, if you have to look at the, the worst of the three, probably it is Washington. And that's what makes all of this so much more intriguing because we're talking Washington, Boston, and Philly, and we're not talking about the Devils, the Rangers, and the Islanders, and the Rangers being a team that's a lot younger and a lot faster. The Islanders, who, by the way, oh, yeah, they got Barry Trotz now. So the problems you might have had against Washington a couple years ago, you might have them soon against the Islanders because, A, they have Barry Trotz, and, B, they're starting to get a little bit younger and they're a lot faster and a little bit more efficient on offense also. So, you know, while I'm saying this about Boston, Philly, and Washington, don't ignore the Rangers and the Islanders, even though you took two games from the Rangers. The Islanders are still looming back there too. And, and that's the other thing. Like, we know who the Islanders are going to be. Yeah. We know exactly who they are because they're a Barry Trotz coach team. They're going to be great defensively. They're going to be extremely stingy to play against, and they are going to make you win a two to one game. And if there's one thing we have to make sure the Penguins, not we, the Penguins have to make sure when they play those Islanders teams this year in the, in the East division is patience. You are not going to win a five, four shootout. You are not going to play an up-tempo game. You are going to have to slog your way through the Islanders and it's going to suck for us as fans. It's going to be, painful as hell to watch but you have to play that way against the trots coach team and then you add in the rangers like i think the the rangers remind me a lot of the early crosby penguins yes they are just rich with talent they're still a little too young Mm -hmm. they came so very close and I'm honestly surprised, and I, I kind of want to get your take on this. I don't know how much you've followed or seen it. I'm surprised through this many games Alexis Lafreniere has not put up a point yet. Yeah, I think that's – that. I'm sure they're probably raising a lot of alarms in New York because here's the thing. As much as we tend to overreact with things in Pittsburgh, something might happen one night and Penguins Twitter is a, is a buzz for like 24 hours. In New York, it's a buzz for like 72 <laughs> and it's not, it's not just Rangers Twitter. It's not just Islanders Twitter. It's everywhere you go. You're hearing it on the radio. You're seeing it on TV. You're you're hearing it at the bodega when you go to pick up breakfast the next morning. It's all over the place in New York because that New York sphere, It's everything's kicked up by like a factor of five. So to see that happen early, there may be some panic there. But if you're, if you're a fan from another market or you've seen it happen before when you mentioned with a team that's so young – you're probably telling yourself, yeah, we, we understand this. We see how this works because the one thing with that young team, the ebb and flow is so dynamic. The difference between the two, the peaks and the valleys are so violently different. So this team, this Rangers team could go on a three or four game tear where they're just flying past everybody. And maybe some of the bounces are going their way. And some of those points start to stack up in a streak like that. And you will see ebb and flow with young teams, kind of like those, 
early Crosby years with the Penguins when that team was just so young. It was like, you know, big paws on the puppy. They couldn't really keep their balance all that much. And sometimes they'd keep it and sometimes they'd fall flat on your face. But the thing is, you're not necessarily going to know when those times come. I also will say watching Lafreniere and the Rangers in the last two games really, and I say this all the time, you know, Crosby and Malkin are getting to the are getting to the back nine, if not already on it, of their yes, careers. Absolutely. So you know, for the love of God, appreciate what we have and had. But the other thing I thought of watching Lafreniere was how much lo- more lucky we were as Penguins fans to get Crosby and Malkin, who were basically stars as soon as one blade touched the ice. Yeah. Like, like maybe not like you know, eighties kind of dominant because that's just not how hockey is anymore. But, like, they fit right in. Like, there was not much of a learning curve. There was not much, like, there was not much of, ah, he's getting used to NHL speed. Ah, you know, he's he's figuring it out. Like, Gino and Sid showed up and were just like, by the way, we out here. Oh, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm going to go back and show my age again. I'm going to take this back to the 80s and early <laughs> 90s. Think back to what had to happen for this franchise to get Mario Lemieux and how bad they had to be for that to happen. Then think about in the middle of the way things were going, then they land Yari Yager because a couple other things had to break in that in a certain direction. Now, take both of those things and put them together happening within about 18 months of each other. That's getting Crosby and Malkin at the same time. That's what that is. You're talking about the two miraculous things that had to happen just to get Mario alone or to get Yager alone. Now you're putting those circumstances that aren't exactly identical, but they're pretty damn close. And you're putting them together within that short time period. You're going, oh, yeah, by the way, these two guys are together. Send them on out and see what happens. That's the dynamic we're talking about. And that's how lucky you are. Yeah. And speaking of that, Stan Savern with the line of all time when it comes to those Penguins. Uwe Krupp should be in the Penguins ring of honor. Because him scoring that OT goal to put the Penguins out of the playoffs and into that draft position to get Yager, more consequential than most things that have happened in this team's history. Like, that, is, that is one of the biggest butterfly effects in the history of this franchise and maybe sports sports butterfly effects in the history of this city. It, it's up there with it's up there with Manny Sanguian losing his car keys. It's, it's a, and granted, that's a lot darker of a circumstance, but it's up there. Yeah, and... I know it's a darker story, but for those that do, I get the reference, for those who don't know, send us down that quick, quick and dirty story. Cause, cause that's oh. a story. Um, it, it's really, like I said, it's a dark story, but, um, 1972, we're talking right around the holiday season, you know, right before new year's Eve, 1972. And if you know the story then you know where I'm going with this, but Manny Sanguian was so was supposed to accompany Roberto Clemente on that flight to Nicaragua to, you know, deliver supplies and stuff on New Year's Eve, 1972. But Sanguian didn't make the trip because he lost his car keys and he couldn't get out quick enough to make that trip with Clemente. And of course, you know how the story ends. Clemente's in that fateful plane accident and and took one of the greatest athletes and one of the greatest humans I think this world has ever known off this planet. But it was one of those, what if Manny Sanguian hadn't lost his car keys? It's one of those things, and like you said, it, it's it's a dark way to look at it, but it's one of those butterfly effects that kind of melds in with this city's sports history and, and Krupp's goal that allowed the Penguins to get Yager is definitely on that list for me. Yeah, the, the Guillen story, like, I can't remember if it was you or somebody else told me about that, and I was like, wait, what? 
Like, I could not believe it. There's another like, chapter to it, too, because if you want to take it a step further, Neil Walker's dad was supposed to be involved in that, too, and Clemente told him to stay home. So what if that happens? There's, there's a lot of, of dovetails with that story. It's, it's really crazy if you think about it. Yeah. So hard, hard pivot out of that. Yeah, not to damper the mood at all. Just try to bring it back to yeah, the no, stuff here. No, like, and I know I kind of like went into that. Not like I don't want to say cheery because that's the wrong word, but it's like you know that's a story that like I was more excited for like people to hear that because like I remember the first time I heard that like I was like stunned like yeah. like one of those things that like you think you'd see in a TV drama rather than actually hear about in real life like like all like like you know to kind of make the movie reference, it's kind of similar to the, the remember the Titan scene where Bertier gets in the accident and, yes. and Julius, Julius is like, man, I should have been in that car. And he wasn't like, yeah. that's a great reference. So, it, it, it shows you. And as we talk about both ends of this thing with, you know, a game going a certain way or a ping pong, ping pong, Paul bunts in a certain way and something as simple as losing your car keys, it just takes one moment, one decision, and everything can change. I think that's the best way you can probably wrap all this in a bow and to, to put it that way and say, hey, it just takes one split second where everything can go in a different direction. Yeah. So, like I said, hard pivot. Looking forward here. Uh, Penguins got two games set coming up this week with the Boston Bruins, 7 o'clock, both on Tuesday and Thursday. Mm. Uh, a team that... There, it, it looks like they're gonna be without Pasternak. Uh, I don't I think they're scheduling him to come back at the earliest on Saturday, so they likely will be without him when the Penguins come to town. And then after that, it's right back against the Rangers. This time at MSG on Saturday and next Monday. So, I mean, I look at this and them hitting the road as a re- like I think a really good chance for them to maybe catch the Capitals. And pass them because I think I think a split in Boston is about the best you can hope for. Don't go over. Try to get at least two points out of those possible four. And then I still like despite there being moments against the Rangers in this past week that were fairly frequent, where the Penguins did not look like they were at their best and the Rangers were running all over them. I still don't think, after seeing them play, I still don't think the Rangers are all there yet. I still think there's a few deficiencies, and the Penguins are in a good spot to to exploit those. Yeah, you're right. And it it kind of adds to the importance of this trip, if you want to look at it that way. And I think splitting in Boston is, you don't want to call it the ideal, because the ideal is, let's call it, the ideal is beating Boston twice. Do you expect that to happen? Probably not. But if you can split it, most people will take that deal sight unseen. Two games in Boston in three days, you win one, lose the other one. Most coaches will say, you know what, fine, won't even argue, I'll take that deal. But it does become a lot more important when you go over, you know, you go from Boston over to MSG to face the Rangers. You don't want to be that team that says, okay, we just got done splitting two with Boston. We don't have to look at it as seriously with the Rangers. And it could be one of those days where this team comes out and everything is clicking at the right time, even though we both know that there's going to be a lot of hit and miss with this team with this Rangers group. But it could be one of those days where they come out and say, hey, we're actually clicking tonight, and then you end up losing one because maybe you just expected more of the same that you saw the first time around. And we've seen that happen with this team before. You don't want to compare seasons and say they're alike. But we've seen this team come out before, 
and maybe take one or two groups for granted and there's a slow start and there's a mistake here and there and a bounce goes the wrong way. And then we're asking ourselves, how did this game happen? And you don't want that scenario against this Rangers group, especially if you get a split in Boston to start that trip out. Right. And because like we were saying about the Rangers, like it reminds me of those early Crosby Malkin teams. There is a boatload of offensive talent. Mm -hmm. So if you give them an opening, even with their youth, even with the deficiencies on that roster, they can drop a few on you in short order. And if you find yourself in that scenario, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. Now that's assuming they don't play both Anthony D'Angelo and Jack Johnson, but. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Point taken. Have you seen everything going on with D'Angelo in the burner account? Oh my God. I, I was very disappointed with myself because we we ran out of time to when we when we take that first episode of the Sunday Morning Grind podcast and we did is this a thing for the final segment and I had talked so much in the previous segment and, and during that segment that we ran out of time to mention that part with the D'Angelo Burner account and is this a thing and I'm still kicking myself for that because I really wanted to put a deep dive into that topic alone. So I'm glad you brought that up because I did not get to really – I didn't get to give it its full due attention like I should have. Wow. So for so for those that somehow might not know, <laughs> now if you're listening to this show, chances are you found us from Hockey Twitter, so you've probably seen this. But <clears throat> at NYRFan92360244 is – very, very obviously Tony D'Angelo's burner Twitter account after he left Twitter. And I got to give a shout out to one of my favorite followers and people I follow on Twitter at the at best smart Justin. He's hilarious. He as funny as he is. He brought up such an unbelievably good point about how you can prove this is his burner account. He never tweets during games. Oh, man, that's very Matt Patricia like it is so Matt Patricia. I love it. Like like either you're either that committed to the bit or he's on the ice and can't tweet like like and And, and if you are if you are that committed, shout out to you for being true to form, because that is just absolute precision peak trolling, if that's true. I, I I have to if, if that's the case I have to applaud it if oh, not Anthony D'Angelo dude you are a pro hockey player why do you care what us plebs on social media have to say make your money go play hockey and who gives a damn just get, go away you can ask that same question to a certain other individual of a certain status who might have similar views but that's a different conversation for a different time awkward part sure is <laughs> just saying throwing it out there Oh, man. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So one last thing we'll get into uh, real quick here uh, was the blockbuster trade we had this past week in the NHL. 
thankfully it does not affect the Penguins, but yes. we've got to talk about it a little bit. Columbus has traded Pierre-Luc Dubois in, to Winnipeg in exchange for Patrick Laine and Jack Roslevic. And I got to be honest, I don't think anybody wins or loses here. I think this is a trade that fit the need for each team. Which makes it a good trade, usually on its face. If you understand what a with I should say, if you understand what the circumstances behind an ideal trade are, it is usually a team that says we have a need for a certain thing, so we're going to find somebody who has that need. Meanwhile, the other team says, "Okay, we have what you need, but do you have something we need?" And it just happens to be that way. So it turns out where okay, we got we need what we needed. They got what they needed as opposed to one side got what they needed and for the other side was, oh, this is the best we could do. So for some people, it's like, oh, it feels like kissing your sister. But if you're looking at it from the GM perspective, making the trade as far as filling a need and maybe dealing a surplus to do it or dealing something that you want to get rid of to do it, that's kind of what you're looking for from that perspective. So it depends on how you're looking at it. And if that's the case, if both teams got what they needed, then yeah, it sounds like a good trade. Now, some people might have the reservations as to how things might look after the fact, but I, I don't know why. This is my, it might be just me. When it comes to sports, I have this thing where I pay attention more to coaches and GMs than I do players. Like I, I have a collection of favorite GMs that I like. It's really weird. So I, I tend to put the GM hat on a little bit more than I do the fan hat. And if I'm looking at it where, okay, this team got what they wanted, we got what we wanted, shake hands, good doing business, maybe we'll see you down the road. So from that perspective, yeah, I can see why some people might find that boring. But the two GMs are like, okay, that's good. Keep it moving. <laughs> Keep it like, Hey, happy to hear from you. Keep it moving. Right, exactly. But but you're, you're absolutely right, though. Like, this filled a need for both teams. Columbus needed scoring. Winnipeg needed better center depth. So you send off uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois up to Winnipeg, which um, – Shout out to the guest we had last week, Rachel Dory, who was saying on her show, Staff and Graph, which again, after you finish listening to us, like we said to you guys last week, go listen to them. They are great. Love Rachel. And uh, she brought up on that show that, you know, Dubois' father works within the organization in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. And while that isn't a full reason for him to go there, it was a natural fit. They needed a center. He has family ties there. It's just that was the, one of the most realistic places for him to go. And the one thing I will say, and I've talked to a couple people about this because I originally said it and joked about it. I was like, oh, man, Torts is going to hate Lion. He's going <laughs> to absolutely hate him. That was me, too. <laughs> but then I thought about it. If Lion captures that magic he had two years ago where he's just an absolutely elite goal scorer, Torts is going to love him. Torts ain't going to care. If he's scoring, Torts will not care. He may have his gruff attitude that he always has under his act, but if Lainey's lighting the lamp, he don't care. I'll give you the flip side to that, and this is something that I don't think people really pay attention to until it's after the fact. John Tortorella has this thing where if you play for him, you tend to love him by the time it's all said and done. Torts has his guys. His guys will go to the mat for him. And it's one of those things where 
maybe it's one of those, maybe it's the overbearing father that pushes you a little bit too hard, but he'll get the most out of those guys. And in the process of it, those guys will run through walls for him. There are guys who played for John Tortorella, John, John Tortorella. I won't say all of them, but there are some specifically that say, I know you guys don't like this dude, but we loved playing for him. He finds a way to really connect with some of these guys and get the best effort. Even if it's not it's the best results, he'll get the best effort out of them, and those guys will go to the mat for him. So, yeah, you're right. If, if Line A actually does find that touch and gets into that groove, you know, Torts will be okay with it. But at the same time, the guys around him, if, if Tortorella can get the best effort from the guys around Line A and Line A's rolling, you might get more out of this than we think they would. Yeah, agreed. And I also think one of the best moves Tortorella ever made in the past couple years was when the Blue Jackets roster kind of sat him down and were like, listen, just dial it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, like they kind of they fi- they finally uh, a team finally said to him like listen man it's not the 80s anymore like it's not the 70s and 80s anymore athlete is a job now like you know we're not like when we go out it's like maybe once a week yep but other than that we're in the gym we have dietitians uh we're at practice we're watching film like it, it's it's not the NHL of old where the morning skate existed literally for guys to work off hangovers. Right. Like that ain't a thing anymore. So like, yeah. And the, and the fact that he kind of like stepped back and went, all right, you know what? You're right. Like I got to dial it back a little bit. And now like, I mean, I still agree with the, the Greg Wyshynski take of, of John Tortorella of he coaches to the bubble, but you know, that's a, that's a chicken and egg argument. Like, is it torts or is it the roster? Is it torts or is it the roster? And that's a like, that's a fair argument to make. I, I totally agree with that. But I but I think you know to put a bow on it. Um, I think that's a good trade for both teams. I, it's boring. I, I would love to be like, what is this GM doing? What is it? You got fleeced. But I think both teams came out on the came out better. And I'm a I'm a fan of boring trades. If it's a trade where it's just like, yeah, this team got what they wanted, this team got what they wanted, you know, how you doing, keep it moving. I'm cool with those. And those are trades that you want as, as an organization because if you can get more of those, that means you're doing what you're supposed to. And, and it's one of those, I, I got to make my one obligatory wire reference. Proposition Joe talking to Stringer Bell. Keep it boring, String. Keep it dead <laughs> effing If you can make a bunch of dead effing boring trades, then you're probably doing something right. Yep, and you're telling me you don't want to laugh at an incompetent GM, JT? I mean, I never get tired of laughing at incompetent GMs. That never gets old, especially if some of them are in your own town, but that's another story. But yeah, there <laughs> are some times they're just like, this, this guy really did that? Seriously? You're, you're letting that happen? Okay. It's just one of those you kind of, you, you, you wink and say, all right, you're a funeral. But no. Yeah, it's the... It's the uh, I can't remember who it was. I, I've referenced it on this podcast a million times. It, it's that tweet that said, "If you're an NHL GM, your job is to identify the bad GMs, call them every day." Ah, yes. There, there's that that old that old poker saying. I think Mark Cuban actually mentioned it too. You know, if you walk into a room and you can't find the sucker, it's probably you. Exactly. So JT, one of the things we do on this show, and I'm sure you know because you said you're a fan. 
going to pretend that was a real thing. I'm sure it is. You ain't ain't one to lie. We're getting to my favorite part. I love this part. We are going to hear from the people. I'm going to drop the beats. And when we come back, we got your correspondence. All right. So as as everybody knows by now, Mike Darnay is got his camera out somewhere photographing whatever sport he's photographing these days. If you're not following him on Twitter for his photography, get your ass on that. He's oh, a damn good photographer. He's so good. Mike is so good. So I'm going to take the reins this week on correspondences. So first and foremost, uh, we had a couple questions on this, so I'm just kind of mixing them together. Uh, a couple people asked about uh, Pierre Olivier Joseph in his debut. Uh, a couple people basically asked, like, what does it mean for the roster? Uh, does he stay up? Is it time for him to look for a place in Pittsburgh instead of going back to Wilkes-Barre? Or does this affect someone like Marcus Pedersen, who might be moved in a trade? Uh, What are you seeing out of him, JT? What do you think? Um, I think it's one of those things where he's doing what he needs to do now. You don't want to get too crazy with it too soon. You you don't want to put a crown on the guy who literally just showed up. But to play in two games and to come away with it, with a point and a plus two, he's doing the thing to where, you know, you don't want to hear your name called too much as a young defenseman. That's the, that's the defenseman. That is the, the offensive line and football adage. If your name's getting called too many times, you're either doing really, really good or you're doing really, really bad. And we haven't heard it that much to be that big of an issue. So that part, you, you kind of give it a thumbs up and you're okay with it. But to wonder if we're at that point, where we're saying, okay, He's going to stick around or he's going to replace someone else in the roster. Here's the thing you remind people. It's been a couple games. He's played a grand total of, you know, his average time is about 13 minutes. We're not talking about logging 24, 25 minutes of ice time. We're not talking about Chris Letang when you're logging pretty much two thirds of the game ice time here. We're not there yet. You got to let things kind of progress to get to that point. Now, granted, yes, the early returns are good enough to where it's, you're not really wondering how soon the bubble will burst. So that's the good thing. He's at least trending in the right direction. Am I ready to say, hey, find, a, find an apartment and start signing the lease? I'm not there yet. It's just, okay, kid, so far so good. Keep doing what you're doing, and we'll worry about the rest later. Yeah, you about touched on everything I, I would say is uh, the early returns are great. Um, he came in with that potential that he could be a good young defenseman that fits in. Uh, I think, honestly, he's on schedule. That's the right. thing we got to keep in mind here. He's yes. on schedule. Uh, you know, I don't know if he's ready to be an NHL regular once the roster's healthy. Now, that's not to get into the debate over Matheson and CeCe, uh, but, like, at the same time, like, it's good to know you have that kind of talent within your system to where if things go sideways, you have that safety valve there that you can call up or off the taxi squad, or just dress for a game or two. And, and I, I think... Oh, didn't mean to cut you off. I, th- I thought Mike Sullivan may- mentioned that and made a good point of it. He says, look, if you're going to win Stanley Cup, you're not going to do it with just 12 forwards, six defensemen, and two goaltenders. You're going to need an extra guy or two when someone gets hurt. You're going to need an extra guy or two if something goes wrong. Maybe a you know, guy has a baby, he's away from the team for a while. You're going to need to be able to reach back and pull some of that depth upward 
to be able to help you out when you run into those situations. And let's let's talk about it. this is hockey. If you've watched it, you know, it is a physical, sometimes bordering on violent game. So you are going to have to deal with the physical ramifications, which means you're going to have to have guys who can step in when someone gets hurt because injuries to not to go to Mike Tomlin injuries are part of the game and you don't seek comfort. If you're Mike Sullivan, you got to be able to have those guys on deck ready to go. Couple more uh, hockey questions here before we get into the goofy stuff, because we actually we got a, a lot of good questions this week, and a lot of them were hockey related. Which appreciate you guys for that. You know we're all for that, but remember you can ask about whatever the hell you want. And we can get into some goofy topics, but I like this one because it's a good mix of silly and hockey. Michael Costa asks us, who is the most random player somebody tried to convince you that they were quote the best in the NHL. He references someone once tried to convince him that Scott Gomez was the best player in the NHL when he was with the Rangers in 2007. I remember I remember seeing that question on Twitter. That's a good question. I've thought about this and I'm trying to remember there was a time and it might have just been the person who it was. I think that this girl I went to college with and she had the the very fixated attention on certain people. And for a while it was Yarmir Yager. And for, for all that attention on Yager, it made sense because Yager is one of the most, you know, transcendent talents in the league's history. That's one thing. But then there was this thing where Darius Kasparitis could do no wrong. <laughs> and, and I was one of those guys that loved Kasparitis as a player. His, his pre-Penguin days, I thought he was a good defenseman. His Penguin days, I thought he was great. I remember the playoff game winner and slotting on the ice. I will never discount those days because they were wonderful, and I am grateful for them. But I had a friend who just believed Darius Kasparitis could do no wrong. And it's like, don't get me wrong, I like him, but I don't like him that much. It, it bordered on obsessive and weird. So I got to I got to go back to my my college days 20 years ago and bring that one up. Yeah, that it's the same for me. I got to go back to my college days cuz I went to IUP and for some odd reason the student demographic at IUP is basically like 50% Pittsburgh, 50% Philadelphia. So like I had a lot of Philly fans and not even try to convince me that it was Giroux. There was a time where you could at least make a case for Giroux. They would bring up like Voracek and be like, he's the best <laughs> in the world. And I was like, no. Like, and I'm not even saying this as a Penguins fan. Like, he he's good. Like, he's I'd even go so far as to say he's above average and really good. But yes. best in the world? Like, come on, man. Take off the orange and black glasses. Like, I loved Chris Letang and still do it. I wasn't like, bro, best you man in the NHL. Because he was not. <laughs> And still isn't. I love him, but he's still not. Not to make a crazy Philly parallel, but there was a time when you could not convince Philly fans that Donovan McNabb was not the greatest quarterback in the league. He was a damn good one. And you're, you're like, I, I, I love Donovan McNabb. I loved him as a football player and a basketball player. He was at Syracuse. I thought he was an amazing athlete. But you're like, dude, um, Peyton Manning's still walking the planet. You might want to slow it down. It's all in the So there, there's um, – I want to give a quick shout out before I ask the next question to at Kevin Hussey for he asked us a really good um, hockey question that Josh, no offense to you. I want to save it for when I got Mike and Jesse. Uh, it's a good it's a good dying alive one. Uh, so shout, th- thank you for the question, man. We're going to save that one. We're going to put it in the tank. I want to save that one for another day. So let's get in to some of the funnier ones. Let's do it. Uh, let's let's get weird. I'm in. So 
This one is from Smite 7 What is the best type of prepared potato? I.E. sweet potato fries, tots, hash browns, ETC. Ooh, I saw this one too. And I thought a lot about this one. And I, I've come to a conclusion. And this seems kind of odd because it's probably something people would not expect. And it might have a little bit of a nostalgia attached to it. My vote is going towards, and this is, shout out to, to Pitt students and Pitt alumni because you're going to get this. Now, granted, I went to high school at Shinley in Oakland, so it was blocks away from this establishment. I'm going to go with a fresh, fresh vat of original hot dog shop fry. I mean, fresh out the grease with the cheese next to them. You might even have a little bit of ketchup, and if you want to get fancy, you might add a little gravy, but... Fresh original hot dog shop fries. That is my favorite. R.I.P. the O. Yes. Shout out to the O. Pull one out. Dude. May it live forever. I don't even want to answer now. That's such a great (laughs) answer. Oh, my God. I can't tell you how many days my junior and senior year of high school we would slip out the back door on Belfield Avenue, walk down to Oakland, sneak over to the Sam Goody on Forbes Avenue if it was a Tuesday, buy a CD or two when they dropped out, and then walk up the street, get some old fries, and go back to school. That happened way too much. I hope my mom did not hear me say that. (laughs) (laughs) I had so many friends that ended up at Pitt, CMU, Duquesne. So, like, when I was in college, I spent a lot of time in Oakland. Like, on weekends where I didn't have to go to a hockey game or didn't have anything going on, I would drive from IUP down to Oakland and meet up with these guys that I either went to high school with, played hockey with in high school or whatever. And, you know, we could be having the best and most memorable night of partying and drinking in our lives. And somebody would nudge one or the other and be like, bro, we got to leave. We got to get to the O before it closes. Yep. And I was like, yep. Yeah, we do. Gather the squad. We're out. Assemble your crew. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. Can't disagree with that. I will add one honorable mention. And if you know, you know. If you've done Eaton Park, late at night, midnight breakfast buffet, shout out to Eaton Park potato pancakes. Honorable mention. Big facts. Next question comes from Dan Fowler, and he asks us a great, great question that I don't know if I have an answer for, but we're <laughs> going to throw it out throw it out there. Dan asks, how is GameStop stock so high when nobody has been inside a GameStop store since 2013? Oh, my God. I have no idea. <laughs> they have fleeced me out of so many games I've tried to trade in. It makes no sense. And what makes me even more angry is that if you go there now and try to buy NCAA 14, it's like 69 bucks. Unbelievable. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even do that on purpose. <laughs> He's so right, though. He's so right. How many times have I gone into trade-in games to get something else, and they're like, yeah, we'll give you six bucks. And you're like, what? This game was last year. I just wanted to get last year's to get this year's. You're telling me $6. He's absolutely right. I have no answer to it either, but it drives me insane. I think the answer is the stocks are just like the games they try to buy. They're going to tell you it's one price, but you know. Oh, yeah, you definitely. Know. Definitely. That, that's a great <laughs> question. Oh, it's like... That's like the source of my mid-20s angst. I can't even lie about it. <laughs> we'll end on this one, and uh, it may be a better question for when we get 
Jesse back, but uh, you know, we'll ask it anyway. This is from our boy Flagrant at Flagrant Swag. He asks, "What's your advice for somebody trying to get into slash understanding more about soccer gameplay?" Two thirds of the world can't be wrong, right? Ooh, good question. Um, I'll go with what my experience was in college. Have friends from other countries. You'll catch on yeah. a lot faster when you, if you're watching it with them. And specifically, I had two frat brothers from my time in Duquesne. Uh, my frat brother, Joel, and uh, JP. Joel was from Kenya, and JP was from Haiti. Joel was an Arsenal fan. He's the guy that kind of converted me into an Arsenal fan. JP was a Man U fan. So you can imagine the arguments were just, like, ridiculous from time to time. And it was funny watching them, A, argue about soccer when I didn't know what they were talking about as much, but then hearing them talk trash about soccer in broken English. It just made me laugh every time. And then watching them play FIFA in your living room, probably after a little bit of, of green enhanced, you know, green enhanced activity, if you, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> You're watching that happen, and that's equally as comical. But I think I learned more about soccer watching those two guys play FIFA and talk trash or talk trash on like Saturday mornings down at Piper's Pub having a couple and watching a soccer game than I ever did doing anything else. So my answer will be have friends from other countries that watch soccer. You'll pick it up really fast. On that same note, too, if there's anybody that you know that played like at any sort of competitive level. Talk to them about it because that's probably a lot more effective. Good point. Well, well, just well, and just in general, because like the intricacies, there are so many intricacies within the game of soccer, like that dude that go so unappreciated in the United States, mm. because you know, and this is a bit of a cultural argument, but it's our sports are very our sports are so ridiculously transactional, right? Like. Hit the puck, put it in the net, score, that's how you win. Mm-hmm. Like, now, granted, there's obviously strategy involved in all of that. I understand that. But, like, you think about it from an entertainment aspect, right? Like, shoot the puck, go in the net, score. Run the ball, throw the ball, catch the ball, go in the end zone, score. Uh, you know, throw the ball, hit the ball, catch the ball, run. All that kind of stuff. So there's so many little intricacies within soccer that people don't quite understand that if you talk to somebody that's played it, it is a fascinating sport like it's still not my thing but damned if i don't appreciate the hell out of it to your point um during my time when i was working in arkansas my first sports anchor job out there at the abc in fayetteville um, i ended up having an intern who was the goalkeeper on the university of arkansas women's soccer team usually if i did highlights she had at least one or two ridiculous saves that ended up going in the highlight package she ended up being an intern and she went out in the field a lot when I went out and me and them having some really interesting conversations, but I would throw some random soccer questions that I was curious about at her and she would give me answers. And I'm like, man, I never thought about that before, man. I never realized that. And she was a really good goalkeeper. She ended up having to quit playing because she had really bad concussion issues, but she would drop some nuggets on me that I would never pay attention to. And then I would, I came back to Pittsburgh and I started going to a lot more games with the Riverhounds. I'd go to some Riverhounds matches over at Highmark stadium and I would notice the things that she pointed out. I'm like, man, Kelly told me about that. So to your point, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and that's kind of how it was for me in college as well. Because for some reason, there was a great like 
friendship alliance between like IUP hockey and IUP women's soccer. Like we would all we all got along and hung out all the time, which I don't know why because they were actual NCAA athletes and we were club players who paid to play the game. Like so, I don't know why they hung around us, but they did anyway. But like I would like you know. I'd end up picking their brains about soccer. Like I, I would be like, you know, like what's it, what's 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 the point of this? Like, you know, how do you guys deal with that? Like, is there a, a parallel between hockey and soccer? And like, it was just some of the most fascinating conversations I had, and it made me like, what you know, like I said, while I'm still not a huge fan of the sport, like I just have such an appreciation for it because of like what goes into it, and not to mention. The level of athlete you have to be to play soccer. Oh man. A, a 90 minute game with a pitch that big and you're mostly always running. I get tired watching that. I'll I'll make the obligatory reference to dogma. How uh, mass genocide is the most excruciating thing you can go to next to soccer. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll go there and put that in there. Drop a Matt Damon quote. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for your questions and JT, before we go, we got to plug it. We got to plug it. What just dropped, my man? Oh, this past week, we're, we're just 24 hours, maybe 36 hours from the drop of the uh, Sunday Morning Grind podcast. It has been almost a year since I signed off on the Sunday Morning Grind on 93.7 The Fan. And, and long story short, um, COVID has hit a lot of different industries and broadcasting among them, and it kind of – Limited my time over there. I haven't been on the 93.7 Fan Airways in a year and um, or almost a year. And Greg Finley, you know, my old producer from the ground reached out to me and goes, dude, why don't we just do a podcast? And I'm like, okay. And it was really, that was it because people kept asking both of us. They'd run into us like, dude, when's the ground coming back? Or I've gotten maybe, I couldn't say at least a couple dozen times where someone says, when's the Sunday morning grind coming back? We missed the Sunday morning grind. And eventually Greg and I just got together. We were just like, let's just do a podcast. Let's just do this ourselves. And that's kind of what we've been pushed towards. So wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, um, we just got approved for Apple. So we're on, you can get us on iTunes now. Um, yeah. Sunday morning grind podcast and shout out to you, Pat, for, for providing some of the art because we were kind of figuring out what we wanted to do with a, a, a logo for the show. Like I had a, a picture of an old coffee grinder from my honeymoon trip to the Dominican Republic. I'm like, we could use this one. And Greg kind of found some old pictures of Pittsburgh and put one together. And then the day we dropped it, you're like, hey, I found, I, I did this for you. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Because it just fits. <laughs> First of all, it, it fits the vibe of the show that we always had. Our thing was, look, it's Sunday morning. You know, you're probably getting up early. Maybe you're going to work and Pat, in your case, I know you're going to go coach your, your kids for, for your hockey team, which is something I think that fits in too. Or people are out running, they're running errands or doing chores or taking their kids somewhere. And it's like, you know what? This is a show that's light. It's fun. We want to have some fun with it. We want to make you smile. We want to make you laugh because who's in a bad mood on a Sunday morning? You know, it, you want to be the Commodores. You want to be easy like Sunday morning. And the, the art you gave us, man, it fits that motif perfectly. So shout out to you for helping us out. And yeah, wherever you get your podcast from, Sunday Morning Grab Podcast, it's me, it's Greg Finley. And if, you, if you're if you a fan of the show days, we did it for almost two and a half years together. And if you're a fan of the show and you wanted to see it back, your prayers are finally answered and we appreciate you guys for the support. I, I was one of those people, man. Like, like I, I, I was missing it because like you said, like you said, like that was a great soundtrack for me driving to the hockey rink. Like, I have about a 25 to 30 minute drive from my house to the hockey rink and knowing I would always have like 
hockey practice early Sunday morning or like mid Sunday morning uh, in the last year, I, it would be all right. Like get all get all your other podcasts listened to for your drives because on Sunday morning when you go to the hockey rink, whichever one you're going to, you are putting on ninety three seven a fan so you can hear Josh on the Sunday morning grind. And that was the, and and that obviously happened after we became friends, but like. At the same time, like it was something that was always in the back of my head before we met in person. I was like, he does a Sunday morning show on 93.7 The Fan, and it's damn good. I appreciate that, man. That that goes a long way. And honestly, it's it's one of those things, and I don't think people really understood the context of it a lot, you know, in the moment. But this is in the middle of a time when I'm doing that show. Very often, I'd be working on Saturday nights the night before that, whether I was anchoring or or doing Duquesne men's or women's basketball. I'm working the night before and then maybe a two or three hour turnover. If I'm lucky to get sleep, to come back and host this show the next day. And there will be some times where I would go in and I'm probably not fully awake yet. I'd have my mug of cafe Bustelo open. It would kick in before the show actually went on the air. And I'm like, all right, maybe by that third hour, I was probably feeling it a little bit better, but there would be days I'd get home and take a nap after I'm done with the show. And I wouldn't remember maybe two thirds of the show that happened because I was just so worn out. There was a day, and I tell this story often, there was a 24-hour period where I literally anchored a Saturday night at, at KDKA, got maybe three, four hours of sleep, come in that morning, host the grind, and it was a four-hour show, get done with that show, maybe get an hour to get from the 93.7 Fan studio across town to get to Duquesne because I had to call play-by-play for a men's basketball game that afternoon, and I did that in the 24-hour span. And Good I, God. And I'm not saying that because of some badge of honor, although I don't know anybody else has ever done that because they're probably not that crazy. But I did something like that, not because the money was that great, at least not on the radio side. It's good on the TV and play-by-play side. I won't, I won't, I won't lie about it. <laughs> for me, it was more or less the fact that I knew people were listening. I knew you would be listening. I knew you know, some of my friends from college would be listening. And I knew some of those folks that I hear from on Twitter on a regular Bases, the norms, the Mama Holmeses, the Uncle Leos. I knew they were listening and I knew how important it was to them. It became the Sunday morning grind because I knew there were people that were out there getting their own grind in and looking to hear something that helped them get through the morning. And that's the thing I heard so much. It's like, dude, you know, your show helps us get through the morning. I remember being in Crafton and I was getting gas at in a, a gas station in uh, Crafton, say maybe 830 in the morning. And I am looking rough. I got a, I, I'm not shaved. I got a hat on. I got a hoodie and sweatpants. And a craft and police officer says, you're Josh, right? And I'm going, oh, crap, what did I do? <laughs> like, that's my first reaction. I'm like, yeah. As if, my, if, I, if he hadn't said anything, my next response would have been, who's asking? But I'm, going, I'm like, yeah, I'm Josh. He goes, oh, man, I listen to your show every Sunday morning. He's like, the guys on that shift that gets us through today. And it's stuff like that that kind of gives you that extra jolt. You're like, all right, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I got to go in and do this show. I want to sleep. But you're like, you know what? It's getting people through, through the day. We got to go do it. And it's kind of the, the impetus be t- behind wanting to bring this back because it's like a lot of people, it, it wasn't just you know a sports show. It was something that got them through their Sunday morning. And we're hoping the podcast can do something like that, bringing it back around. Absolutely, man. Like I, I was so happy to see it back. And we could, we could do this for like four hours like we could do easily we could do we could do a hardcore history style podcast where we just talk for four hours but nobody's coming here for that and i know you got other stuff to do so man thank you so much for taking the time i know you're busy i know you got a lot going on 
these days. So I appreciate you taking an hour out of your day to come out on and chop it up with me, man. Man, this is like this is on that that high level of honor to be on this podcast, man. I, I love I love listening to this show. So to be here is just it's huge for me, man. And we we will get you around because now that we know that the schedules line up better for the podcast, we can make this work. We'll we'll get you on the ground and make this happen, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so am I. And as always, thank you guys for the questions. Thank you guys for tuning in. We will be back next week. Little tease for those of you that made it this far. We have another guest next week, but we will have the full usual crew back. So we'll be teasing that this week. Keep an eye out. We'll have another big guest, and we will talk to you guys next week. See ya. See ya.